Get started here this morning, kind of keep working our way down through the, uh, through the passage, and then uh, uh, kind of enjoy what we're uh, studying here. So Romans 8, let's start reading again in verse 14. And uh, if you've noticed, we're taking our time through this uh, for a very specific, for good reason, I should say. And uh, that has to do with uh, what, uh, what's important for us to know and to realize and then to have come and uh, realize and be a part of our lives. Romans 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of fear again to uh, fear bondage, spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth with witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, we've been in this section uh, for uh, several weeks now, and uh, we have learned some things. For the very first time, we learn that we are sons. Uh, we are the sons of God. And uh, we, we've learned that the, how the Spirit, that power center, power source that we now have uh, in Christ, given to us by the Father... He works only with sons. He's not going to work out in anywhere else, but he's working here. And uh, we've learned what it is, what it means to possess the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, there at the end of verse 15. And that cry of, of an adult, it's, not, it's a cry of intelligence. It's a cry of, depend, of uh, dependence. It's a cry that comes in to play where we are not little children <laughs> running around. And, you know, we're not uh, uh, sitting around trying to be told what to do, but rather now we are treated. We relate to, we respond to the Father as adults, and He responds to us the same way. We've been dealing with that issue last week. I showed you, um, let's see if you may, you got enough room there? Okay, good. Uh, we were concerned about lay getting in, so, okay. Um, we, so we learned last week, we looked at the issue of the Lord Jesus Christ as he comes to grow and to learn, and how he did it as he re relied upon, we looked there, did we look at Psalm 16 last week? I think we looked at it quickly. Uh, come back there to uh, Psalm 16. I think we did. I think we did it quickly, though. Uh, look at Psalm 16. Um, uh, we looked there. I know where he says he has given me the tongue of the learned, and he opens mine ears. Psalm 16, verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. And that's the issue of the Father, the Son putting his trust now in the Father. Uh, o my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord, my goodness extended not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. Drop down, if you will, to verse 7. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. 
Where do we get the counsel of the Lord? We get it from his word, okay? Uh, my reigns also instruct me in the night season. Always remember in the night season in scripture, it's a, tribula- it's a turbulent time, tribulation. It really pictures the issue of the 70th week of Daniel. Uh, do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Uh, Daniel's three buddies in the fiery furnace. All of that happened at night time in the night time when they have all that happen. So uh, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glorious rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Well, what's, what's the hope? The next verse. For thou wilt not leave my soul in heaven, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. In Acts 2, Paul, uh, Peter quotes that in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. So as the Lord, now go back to Romans 8. As the Lord is going to Calvary, he looks into that cup, Mark 14, cries, Abba, Father. It's a cry of trust, of a dependence. It's a cry of intelligence. It's a cry of that prayer of petition. Remember Mark 14, we looked at the prayer of petition where he says, if it be possible, well, all things are possible, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He doesn't wait for the Father to respond. He immediately goes to a prayer of submission. So you have a prayer of petition, but then immediately into a prayer of submission because he understands and he knows and he trusts the word and the will of the Father. You and I have that same relationship. Uh, Back here now in, 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 in Romans 8. We... have that same relationship, and that's the point in all this. That's the focus here. Now, you have to remember something as we go through this, and as we've been talking, and I've really never said it this way, but being a child of God is a little different than being adopted as sons. When we got saved, we became a member of the family. We became a what? A child of God. But when you become, and and that's when you become a member of the family. And what Paul is emphasizing and highlighting here is while we are already in the family, how do we get in? The cross. We are declared to be sons. There's an adoption issue here where he's not making, taking us from one family into another family, but rather he's putting us into the status of an adult within that family. Come over to Galatians 4. Just kind of remind yourself of this as we begin to talk this morning about how we learn. How are we going to learn things here? And you know what? We're, how we're going to learn? The same way the Lord Jesus Christ learned. How did he learn? He rests on the word and the will of the Father. All right? When that sign in Galatians 2, well, it's on the back wall there. I live by the faith of the Son of God, the faith of Christ. What was that? That was him relying on the word of God to him. When he says over there in John, I, I, uh, I lay my life down, I can take it back up. The Father gave me that commandment. So he's relying on the word. When the Father, when the Father says... I'm going to resurrect you. you Psalm 69, you, the, nobody's, you're not going to get, you're not going to be in the miry clay. I'm going to resurrect you. You got hope there. See, the Lord is resting on that, and we're the same way. 
for you and I, Galatians 4, there's a time appointed of the Father where he says, yeah, okay, you're a child, and guess what? Now you are an adult. All right? Now, just FYI, by the way, as I like to say sometimes, BTW, the nation of Israel does not have the status of sons yet. All right? They are not declared to be sons until the kingdom is established on the earth. Well, what stopped, I mean, if you think about that, I won't put the chart up, but if you think about this, here's the Lord's earthly ministry. He goes to Calvary. Then you have Acts, the early Acts period. What should have been next after Acts 7? The 70th week of Daniel, all right? Then what's after the 70th week of Daniel? The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. At that moment, he does what? He institutes the new covenant. John 1. Look over there at John 1. This was, raised, this was a question that was asked of me on, by the Monday night crew. That's what made me think about it, okay? Look at John 1, and look at verse number 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him. So he comes to the nation of Israel, that apostate nation, all right? They reject him, but some within the nation, he calls them the little flock. The, prof, the prophets call them the believing remnant. What do they do? They receive him. So what does he do? To them gave he power, notice, to become future. What? Sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. There's that born again issue. So if you think about Israel, that's why I said being a child of God is wonderful. You're in the family, but it doesn't necessarily equate to being adopted into the sonship status yet. Because Israel isn't there yet. There, and when that millennial kingdom is established, the new covenant is established in the second coming, he sprinkles clean water on them, he washes them up, okay? Then he, inst he instills the law in their hearts, and then they're what? His people, all right? Now they are declared to be sons of God. Now, when you come, to Galatians, come back to Galatians 4, that's a by the way, okay? <laughs> Just something you have to think about and remember when we're talking about this. You have to remember there's a point in time where the father shifted the gears here and where a child is expected to grow up. I never would have imagined or ever thought about or considered my 26-year-old living on my couch. By the way, neither one of them do, okay? But you would think that would have been, that's odd, okay? Yes, you're 26, honey. <laughs> Huh? 25. Okay, well, going to be 26 September. I'm a year ahead. What can I say? All right. See, I can't even remember. Thank you for the good goofy look. I got a goofy look out of her like, what? So neither one of my 25-year-olds, who will be 26 in September, are living on the couch, okay? But if you think about that, a 25-year-old, a 26-year-old doesn't need to be told, go brush your teeth, Okay? What, 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 are, what are you expecting them to do? Grow up. Go, be able to handle it themselves. And in God's mind, you know what he's declared us? 
He's declared the members of his family by virtue of, the, of trusting the cross work of Christ. He says, grow up. It's time for you to be appointed sons. It's time to grow up. All right? Now, the wonderful thing about the father is he believes in that wonderful idea and, and thing of free will and volition and free choice and freedom. He says, it's here, you choose, okay? Look at Galatians 4, look at verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Though he be heir. As a believer, you're what? Heirs, join heirs with Christ, heirs of God. Wonderful to be an heir. My heirs will get absolutely nothing, <laughs> okay, unless I win the Powerball. All right? Yeah, I don't have a rich, they don't have a rich uncle. All right? Nor do I, <laughs> for that matter. But the thing is, is when you think about, think about being the heir of uh, a guy like Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or one of those guys, where you're destined to know that you got, you know, the rest of your days to be, you know, on easy street, if you will. Okay? It's never easy having that much money anyway. You know, when you're rich, you just try to keep in it. To keep people away from it. But the thing is, is what, what would you anticipate a, a big day? Well, guess what? You are richer as an heir of God than Bill Gates ever thought he would be in a day. Okay? You're richer. And we have that. But now notice here, as long as he's a child, so you got a class as a child. He's an heir. But he differs nothing than a what? A servant. So you've got two illustrations here. They are, verse 2, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. See that issue of tutors and governors? Back in chapter 3, verse 20, where did it go? Verse 24, wherefore the law was our, what? schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Notice how Paul describes the law as a what? A schoolmaster. And in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 2, he uses tutors and governors. Well, what does a schoolmaster do? He tutors and governs you, doesn't he? He tells you what's up, and then he tells you how to behave. But both the child and the servant are under that system. And until the time appointed of the Father. There's a time that the Father comes in and says, you are no longer under that law system of tutors and governors. Do you follow that? And that's the, that's the thing here. You're no longer subject to the law. Now, the Father has decided that point. And that point in time when he looks over and he says to his children and his family, he says, you're not children any longer. You are, verse 6, and because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son in your hearts crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and in if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. There's a time when the son is no longer a child. A child's a liability. Okay? 
They're a drain on resources. I can remember my dad saying and making a comment that when I moved out, his uh, grocery bill went down about uh, 200 bucks a month. <laughs> That's a drain on resources. And then when my other brother moved out, then it was even more. And my other brother moved out, it was even more. But then the grandkids showed up, and then it went back up, but that lived there with him. But the thing is, is as a child, you're a liability. But as a son now, you become a productive member of the family. You're a constructive contribution. You're considered an asset. Now, go back up to verse 3. I want you to notice something, because we're going to make a connection with Romans 8. Verse 3, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Verse 5, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Do you see that issue of bondage and under the law? As I'm already a child. I'm already an heir. The Father has, come back to Romans 8, the Father has declared me to be an independent, free will, free thinking, freedom adult that can now make decisions in life or prioritize life that will be consistent with what we're doing in the family. That's the deal. The Lord looks at Mary and Joseph in the temple, and he says, I'm about my father's business. He's 12 years old when he says that. How did he know the father's business? He had been learning. He had been educated. If you think about, I think about that part, that passage there in Luke when he said, when all that is there, and how the Lord increased in favor and so forth with the Lord, with God and everything, how did he do it? Well, everybody goes, well, he's God. No, he's a 12 year old boy. He is God, but he's also human. But what was in the house? Joseph and Mary. What didn't they have? The Old Testament. So they started having daily Bible studies of the Old Testament. And you know what he's learning? He's learning the Word. He's growing. And he says, you know what? This stuff in Psalms is talking about me. And he begins to adjust, and it begins to adjust his thinking. And you know what he became? A productive member of the family. What was his job? To be Israel's Messiah, Redeemer, Avenger, Deliverer, King, Blesser. He learns that. And he says, hey, that's me. So in Romans 8, when he says, hey, you're our sons, and we cry, we have the spirit of adoption, and we're going to cry, Abba, Father, we're the only individuals outside of the Lord Jesus Christ that make this cry. By the way, Israel never makes the cry. It's an interesting thing. When you look for it in Scripture, it is not there. They sing a new song, so some have said, well, maybe that's the cry, but it doesn't say that in Scripture. Why? Because they're not there yet. That happens over in the kingdom. Now, come back up to in Romans 8. Galatians 4. By the way, the time appointed of the Father was the beginning of the church, the body of Christ, the dispensation of grace. 
there in Galatians 4, we've, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. He says, hey, the time appointed here now is you're not under the law. You're under grace program. You're not under that tutors and governors system. You're over here now. Okay? Verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Notice how we're going to learn here. Notice how, how an adult is going to think about it. Where does a, an, an adult learn? He's not talking to children. Now he is talking to members of the family. But he's talking to adults. And notice what he says. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Look back with me to chapter 6. Look at chapter 6 and verse 14. When you operate in the spirit of bondage, fear reigns. Fear rules. Look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For ye are not under the law, but under grace. We already know that. We already understand that. We already understand we're not under the law. Chapter 7 goes through all those details that we're dead to the law. And here in chapter 8, he says, listen, if you're a son, okay? By the way, you, not an if as in, you, you know, you, uh, maybe you are, maybe you're not. But as in you are, as a son, you're thinking is not to be in the spirit of bondage. You'll notice he doesn't say law, spirit of the law, or you're not under the law. He's already said that, but here he makes an indirect reference to the law. You guys follow? You Okay. Because Paul's focus here now in Romans 8 isn't the details of you not being under the law. He's done said that to you, 614, chapter 7, but rather now your focus is motivation. What's driving you? What's compelling you? What's motivating you? Is it going to be the bondage of fear? Or is it going to be in this relationship of an adult and a son? How are you going to relate to God? How do you respond to God? Out of fear and, and uh, dread? Or are you going to relate to him out of who you are in Christ? You see, God wants you to know that our relationship is on the basis, not on fear, but on us responding to the love and the grace and the kindness of the Father. And when we respond that way, it's, it's a response of, of the, Paul over there, he talks about the love of Christ constraineth us. The issue isn't, isn't us over here going, okay, don't hit me, don't hit me, don't hit me. But rather, hey, because look at what you've done for me. Now, out of love and adoration for you, Lord, Father, I can now go and serve. You follow that? All right, let's take a break. No. Because <laughs> that's literally what's happening here. What's going on here is the, God wants you to know that our relationship isn't based on fear. By the way, it's offensive to the Father if you are afraid of Him. 
Say that again. It's offensive. It demeans the relationship that we have with the Father if you're afraid of him. By the way, we operate in the fear of the Lord, don't we? That's not being afraid of him. You know, we warn every man because we know, we know the terror of the Lord, Paul will say. We understand some things that are coming. But it isn't a fear of, oh my goodness, he's going to spank me. 1 John 1, 9, the guys use that passage to talk about staying in, that's uh, if you confess your sins, he's, he'll freely, he'll forgive you, 1 John 1, 9. And the, the, the Christian dumb out there will use that to say, if you don't confess your sins, you're breaking fellowship with, with, the God, with God. You, don't, you never break fellowship with him. See, it's just a trick, a tool to keep you under the law. Okay, And God says, that's not how I relate to you. And if you relate to me that way, you've broke my heart. You've grieved the Holy Spirit. Because that's, that's not how it's designed to be. Now look here at 8.15. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You see that issue of spirit. The Spirit is a reference to our disposition, our attitudes that we have. You'll, you'll run into someone that says, oh, there's a great Spirit in the room. That's, a, that's an atmosphere, it's an attitude, it's a disposition. That's what he's talking about here. We aren't to be motivated, compelled, or driven by this attitude of being afraid of God. That's what he's getting at. Fear. This bondage. When you're in bondage, you're not free. You're handcuffed. Again, back there in Gala go back there to Galatians 4. We just saw it just a minute ago. But just notice this. When he talks about fear, that's the bondage, the spirit of bondage again to fear. Look at Galatians 4. Look at verse 3 again. He makes that reference there where uh, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the element, in bondage. That's how the law motivated people, fear, bondage. Verse 9, Galatians 4, 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again? See that issue of again? You were there. You lived in that realm one, at one time. You were there. Now look at you. See? You're not there anymore. You're a son. You have a different relationship with the Father now. Not one of fear and dread, but one of love and adoration. Why'd you go back again, Galatians? Those at Galatia. Weak, uh, again, turn to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Ye observe days and months and times and years. They've, gotten, they've been pulled back into organized religion. The Galatians have been corrupted. They, they came, come back to chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Uh, this is a fascinating verse. When you begin to think about this relationship, you think about how are we learning? How, how do we grow? How, do we, how does an adult think and say and do? 
Galatians 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? When he says foolish there, he, he's, not talk, he's not talking about, you know, being dumb. He's talking about you're not thinking properly here. You, you're, not, we're, you're, you're not enjoying the relationship we have. That you should not obey the truth whereby, uh, I'm sorry, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. They're not thinking properly. They've been bewitched. You run that issue of being bewitched and you go back to the witch of Endor and where he's resur- he, uh, Saul tricks him tricks her and resurrects him and all this stuff. And you know what happens? God's saying, don't you resurrect something that I've declared to be dead. They saw it. They believed. They know. They know what's going on. They understand what's happened. They evidently who set forth before you crucified, they're there. And yet what happened? Religion came in and took them. Galatians 4. Look back over at Galatians 4. Look down at verse 24. It's fascinating here. That, if, if Galatians 4. Look back up there at verse 11. Paul says, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. They got sucked off into religion religious system, and you know what he says? I'm afraid of you. I worry for you. Verse 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He's worried about them. So much, I mean, he just, come over to, hold on to four, look at chapter six. Look at verse 17. From henceforth, let no man trouble me. You know what he's saying? He says, you guys are nothing but a bunch of little children. You've been duped. You should be acting like adults and sons. And you're not. Go back to chapter 4. And you know what? Enough with you. I don't want to hear any more from you. I've had enough of you. You know how that gets to be dads sometimes with the kids? (laughs) Go see your mom. Get out of here. (laughs) Enough. Right? 424. Which things are an allegory for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to, there's our word again, bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is a Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in the bond and, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. See that issue of Mount Sinai, do you know where that is? Come back to Exodus 19. Mount Sinai, that's where the the law is given, Exodus 19. Exodus 19, you think about this issue of how we're going to learn stuff and how we're going to relate, Romans 8 there, how we're relating to, we're, we're to relate as adults, as sons. Exodus 19 you know the passage there starts in verse 3. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen how I bear you, uh, did, uh, what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. 
Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenants, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, and that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. And tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people uh, upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up to the mountain or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mountain shall be surely put to death. Boy, notice how the relationship changed. And what, what, was, what was instituted? The law. You see, instead of saying, yeah, we can do it, Lord, they should have said, we can't do it. We learned our lessons in the wilderness. You need to help us. But they didn't. So what did the Lord do? He changed the relationship, and he put a boundary around them, and he says, if you touch this hill, I'll kill you. If your goats get up here, I'm killing them. If your animals, if your kids, anything... You're, the only way now you're going to come to me is in a prescribed manner that he goes gives Moses out in the issue here. The law system is a system not of, well, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. You know, if you do it, great. If you don't, fine. It's not a system of suggestion. <laughs> It's a system of mandatory production. Mandatory. It's a system where you're going to do it or else you're going to do what? Die. Come over to Exodus 20. Look at Exodus 20. Well, you know what? Yeah, Exodus 20. Galatians 4, bondage, bondage. You got, you got Exodus? Run back to Romans 5. I'm sorry, Galatians 5. Just stick, stick a piece of pen or something. You guys with the tablets, you can just earmark it. So Galatians 5. What's the law say? What did we learn? Galatians 4, 24, bondage. Verse 25, bondage. What's the law say? If then thou shalt do, thou shalt not do. And if you don't obey me, I'm going to get you. And by the way, he did. Aaron's boys, he told them, don't you offer strange fire? What did Nadab and Abihu do? Offered strange fire. What happened to them? They were, the earth opened up, took them, their families, their stuff. Wiped them completely off the earth. Gone. What about you and I? You see, if we try to use the law to make God happy, that, by the way, that's what the law does. You're always trying to do what? Make God happy. 
And if we do that, we have, have offended the grace of God. Now look at Galatians 5 verse 1. Here's where we need to be. Stand fast, therefore, in the what? The liberty. Is liberty and bondage the same thing? Not at all. Wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now think about this. The way that we learn, we learn the way that Christ lived and functioned and has relationships. And you know what we learn he did it out of? Not bondage, but freedom, liberty. When he says, is there any way possible for this cup to pass? That prayer of petition. He's right in asking that. But then he immediately turns to prayer of submission and says what? But I know the deal. I'm just, he's not arguing with the Father. I read a guy one time who says, boy, Christ is just arguing with the Father. He's, he's arguing with himself. Because what is our human nature? What's our self say? <laughs> Let's get out of here. Get me out. Deliver me. He never says deliver me. He just says, I just... Have you ever had a day when you just got to get something off your chest? You don't want anybody to say anything. You just want them to listen. And you got something to say. And you don't care. You're just going to say it. And you preface it by, look, I just got to say this. That's what the Lord, he's get, he's, he's, he is connecting with humanity. All points he's tempted. He's saying, hey. I, this is what, what would man say? Get me out of this. What does God say? No, this is what we're going to do. We are free to enjoy that deep, intimate relationship with the Father that the Son had. And by the way, the Father is worthy of that adoration, of that love, of that respect, of that loyalty. And you know what? He never demands it. He invites us to join him. Israel was a demand. You and I are not. He never says to us, get back in line or else. If you come up here and touch, if you come up those stairs and get behind that pulpit, wham, bam. Now the priests do that. Okay, but God, the Father never does that. Rather, he looks at you and he says, you know what, you're free to live in sin if you want to. Go ahead. By the way, if you're free to live in sin, then what are you not acting like? An adult. You can go do that. Go ahead. You want to go rebel? Go ahead. Guess what? I still love you. We have to come to our senses about that. Again, Romans 6, we've been there. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, why? Because an adult doesn't think that way. Come to understand who you are in Christ. You're free to do that. You have liberty. When he says there, and be not entangled again, I, I, that word again keeps popping up, doesn't it? You were here, you should be here. You were here, you were here, and now you're back over here. Sorry, guys, you're on the law side this morning. Sorry about that, okay? I'll switch it up next hour, okay? The, a yoke. What a way to describe the law system. 
because it regulates every detail of your life, doesn't it? You know, you have that, you see the animals with the yoke, they can only go one way. They can fight against it, and it's still going to hold them there. When we, when we trusted Christ at Calvary, we're sons, we're set free. He took the yoke off of you. That's what we're learning. We're, that, we're learning, come back there to Romans 8. We're learning about it. Romans 8, 15, For ye have not received the spirit of a bondage again to fear. We're free of fear as the motivation. We're free now to build into our lives who we are in Christ and to remove from our thinking that system that God said, I've destroyed. I nailed it to the cross. Come back to, we're going to go back to Exodus 20 on your way. Stop in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, on the way back to Exodus 20. Matthew 6, you know the passage, you start in verse 8, it's the Our Father prayer. Uh, actually, it's not the prayer, it's not the Our Father prayer, that's over in John 17. Here, though, is, look at verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How are you doing with that? That's an if and then, isn't it? If you do it, then the Father will do it. But if you don't do it, then guess what? That's the fear of the law right there. That's the situation. Now go back to Exodus 20. That's a situation that, that grace believers want to live under. They do. They want to be told. They want to be directed. You know why? Because with freedom, we're going to talk about some of this next hour when we introduce the family in Ephesians 6 there. They, they want the freedom. They don't want the responsibility that comes with the freedom or the accountability. They want to say, you do it, Lord. So then over here we can say what? The Lord did it, not me. Hands off. He did this. That is not how God has designed the creation to work. Exodus 20, look at verse 20. Obviously, Exodus 19, the if and the then, you saw that. Exodus 20, 20. Oh, well, you know what? Let's go to verse number 19. Ah, verse 18. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. Uh-oh. Yeah, they ran off is right. Why? Because if, if I put one little toenail up there, I'm dead meat. Because what did God say? Touch it, cross it, and you're dead. I kill you. I, I think of that goofy ventriloquist guy. I kill you, you know. That's what he's going to do to you. 19, and they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Moses, you get in between us. Chicken. They're the ones that made the boast in 19. Everything you say, we're going to do. But now, uh uh-uh, man, we need us a middleman. Get in there, Moses. And Moses said unto the people, now now watch that, fear not. There's, There's one fear. For God has come to prove you 
and that his fear may be before your face that you sin not. Now you got two fears. You got two different kind of fears there. The first one, the fear not, don't worry. He's not going to kill you yet. Fear not. Okay? That's the physical judgment destruction. But he ain't going to do this to you yet. Why? Because Leviticus 26 is coming where there's five courses of judgment going to come on upon the nation of Israel. They're not there yet here. They're getting there, but they're not there yet. So relax. God is, God, you know, those, by the way, those five courses leads to the ultimate goal of God destroying the nation of Israel in its apostasy. And it ends over there in that 70th week of Daniel. The tribulation. The rod of the Assyrian going into them and, and getting rid of the rebels and getting rid of the dross and purifying the nation. So he says, look, Moses says, just relax. He ain't going to get you right now. <laughs> he is going to get you, but just not right now. But then he says, the fear of his face may be before you, that his fear may be before your faces. Why? That ye sin not. The second fear is God wants fear in your face. He wants you there. He wants you to be afraid. He wants that relationship with you to be one of fear. Why, Israel? That you would what? Sin not. What's stop? What's curb? And it, now, now, this is not you and I. This is Israel. This is Exodus. What's curbing them? What's slowing it down? They had fear of punishment and death and destruction in the moment. But the law is going to come in. And it says, I, the law says, I want you to be even more terrified so that you won't sin. I hope you see that. They're worried because what did he just say? You come up here, I'm going to get you. Moses, you stand in between us. Moses just gave them the Ten Commandments. If you obey them, great. If not, here comes trouble. And, they, and he says, you know what that law is going to do? That law is going to make you even more afraid so that you sin not. Boy, that's the spirit of bondage again to fear. What a motivating factor. Now come over with me to 2 Timothy 1. Because we've got 10 minutes to talk about us. How do we learn? Well, not out of fear. The law system has been crucified. Our relationship to it is dead. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. There it is. That's not our relationship we are to have with the Father. The spirit of fear. But of power and of love and of a Sound mind, that's consistent with the loving relationship that we are to have with the Father. That's consistent with the relationship that we saw between God the Father and God the Son. Same relationship we have. Again, we're not gods. We just have the relationship. And he says, look, we, have a, we are never to be motivated by fear. God, when, he was, when, the, when the Lord was in the garden, he wasn't scared of nobody. When Judas shows up <laughs> with the crowd, Peter's ready to go to war. 
God says, put it away, Pete, after he tried to take off the servant's ear, our head. Got his ear. He, the Lord looks at him and says, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he, and knocks them all down. It's like, whoa. They get back up, dust themselves off, and get in the, build the wall. We're going to get him now. And he says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. Knocks them all down again. You'd think they'd learn. Don't say, Gee, we're here to looking for Bob. Where's Bob? <laughs> but they get back up, and he and Pete, that's when Peter pulls the sword and whacks the guy's ear off. He's head hunting, and he says, Peter, put it away. And then the Lord goes with them. They don't take him. You see, if he was scared, what would he have said? You know, boo, and they'd all been dead. Wouldn't have had to say, you know, I'm he. Let them live. He wasn't scared at all. Why? Because he knows what the will and the word and the plan of the Father is. You and I are the same way. We're never to be motivated out of fear. Never to be motivated by being afraid of God. But rather, we're to be motivated out of power and love and of a sound mind, a clear understanding of what's going on. Come over to Ephesians 5. You see, folks, we're never, we're, we never are to be led to serve and to participate in the worship and what God's doing today based upon the system of fear, afraid to fail God, afraid to, to mess up, never to operate that way. Sons don't operate that way. Adults don't operate that way. You know what an adult says? I am going to mess up. And I'm going to rest and relax in who I am and be secure there. And when I mess up, he knows I'm going to mess up. And he knows Calvary took care of the mess up. And we're just going to keep on trucking. And by the way, we're going to learn to try not to mess up that way again. Backtrack back, think this thing through, figure it out, and see where the decisions that were made were wrong, and say no more. Our relationship. Look at Romans 8. Our relationship as children of God, the spirit and so forth, the adoption, the sons, and okay? Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Look, look at our relationship, Ephesians 5, verse 1. But, ye there, but be ye therefore followers of God as, what? Dear children. Isn't that an interesting, he doesn't say as children. He says as what? Dear children. We are the object of God's affection. We are the object of his value. He cherishes us. We're his body, who we are in Christ. Think about that. Hold on to five and run back over there to chapter one. Chapter one, verse four. According as he hath chosen us you know today everybody likes to be a part of the crowd the in crowd we're chosen before in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love verse 6 to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved i love that the beloved you see we're dear children we are accepted in the 
beloved one, the beloved, the greatly loved, the best loved, the first loved, the dearly loved. Come over to Romans 1. You see, how, does, how is he looking at Israel? Not that way. He says, you come up here by me and you don't come the way I said to come, I'm going to get you. You know what he says to you and I? I've given you everything. I've blessed you already. Now come and cherish what I've done. I cherish you. You're valuable to me. You're beloved, Romans 1 verse 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. There you are, beloved of God. Now come and let's grow up and act like it. And let's go have the spirit of the spirit beareth witness with your spirit that we are the children of God. Act like who you are, man. You know? By the way, does God loves people, you know that. Romans 5, verse 8, but God committeth his love in that while we were yet sinners, what did he do? He died for us. Even when we're in that state of being a sinner, an enemy, Romans 5, verse 8. You know what? He loved us, right? But that title of beloved is much deeper than him just loving us at Calvary. Because he reserves that title of beloved for those who are his children by faith. Come back to Romans 8. You see, he doesn't just say, I love you. He says, I love you. That's Calvary. Look at it. There it is. But man, once you place your trust in Calvary, you know what? You're now a dear child. You're a beloved. So how does God want us to grow, to learn, to worship? Well, he wants us to do it because we adore him. We desire him. We delight in doing what he's doing and participating in what he's doing. And when we do that... We begin to show the world how worthy the Father is to be loved. How worthy He is to be valued and worshipped and adorned. We don't do it out of fear. We do it out of adoration. We do it out of an understanding, a sound mind. It was once said, and I wrote this down, creation shows that there is a God. Okay? But we, as sons, show the kind of God he is. Follow that. You look at creation, you know there's a higher power, there's a God. But when people look at you and I, we communicate the type of God that he is. What kind of God is he? He's a loving God. He's a kind God. He's a merciful God. He's not the God of religion. What does the God of religion say? Step out of, cross that boundary, and I'm going to whack you. That's Exodus. We don't learn that way. We show the grace and love of God, what it, what it is, and while we don't deserve it, yet we put it on display of what he's done for us. We show him as that loving father that he is. 
And that's what Paul's getting at in Romans 8, verse 14, 15, and 16. Now, next time we'll look at verse 17 and the suffering thing here. We'll get into that. But you know what? You're a son. That's a declarative statement. That's who you are. And he says, now, you know what you need? You need to go and act like it. Because when you act like it, when you live as who you are in Christ, you know what the world sees? The world sees a precursor to Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. You know what that verses are? Look over there. The world sees this, Ephesians 2, 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. The his, and note that verse, is the Father. And you know what they do? They see it on display right now. That's why in Ephesians 3, Paul will say, we're going to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. But what are we displaying? His kindness, his love, his grace, his riches. And we do that when we act like an adult. And when we learn and we grow in Romans 8, in that spirit of adoption. Okay? In verse 16, I'm back in Romans 8. Wow, time's up. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Again, last week we talked about that, how the spirits, how we're the realm there, your inner man, that spirit realm where the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes and works. So then in verse 17, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And now he's going to tell you how to think like a child. I think like a child. Think like an adult. (laughs) Because you know what an adult's going to do? An adult's going to think about it in verse 18. An adult's going to say, I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir of Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm a son. And you know what? The sufferings of this world ain't even worthy to compare to the future and what I got. And the rest of the chapter 8 is all about how this is going to look in your life as you go through life. As you're doing what? Walking as a son. Okay? All right. Don't Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the instruction here, for the folks to come out and be willing to listen and to study. And, Lord, I just pray that uh, we take it to heart and, and uh, study it and learn it and get it into our into our thinking. In your name we pray. Amen.